So today's reading is from Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 23, and it's on page 949 of the Church Bibles. <coughs> on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai asked, said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? The yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, and blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai on a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the preparation that Tim has done. And we just ask this morning that your word would be spoken through him. Whether it's what Tim is expecting to be saying or not, but that you will speak through him. And we will have ears that hear and hearts that receive your message this morning. In your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, before we dive into Haggai this morning, it is the week of Thy Kingdom Come. As you'll have seen the video, the 10,000 Reasons, I think was recorded back in 2019, when there was a mass gathering in Trafalgar Square on Pentecost Sunday, praying, come Holy Spirit over the nation. And it just, every time I watch that, it just brings sort of tears to my eyes. I think that was declared over London. Later on in our service, we're going to show, we're going to sing along to We Seek Your Kingdom, the video from last year, which was filmed over Luton. It was prayed over Luton, transform, revive, and heal society, if you remember those words. 
Thy kingdom come is all about praying between Ascension and Pentecost. Come Holy Spirit. It's been a movement that started, I think it's about six, seven years ago now, started as a prayer initiative from the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York, and it was a small thing. Now it's across, the, it's across the world, it's across denominations, it has really picked up. There is a move of the Holy Spirit working through thy kingdom come. We need to be praying thy kingdom come. Each year we are reminded and asked to pray for five family members and friends to come to know the Lord Jesus. We pray each year. It may be the same five people you've been praying for over the past seven, eight years. It may be those same five people you're going to be praying for over the next 10, 20 years. But friends, don't stop praying for them. And don't just pray for them in these 11 days. Keep praying because we want people to come to know the Lord Jesus. It's important that we pray. And as I say, before we jump into Haggai this morning, we're just going to hear from two of the brothers up at the College of the Resurrection in Murfield about prayer and why it's important. If you're following on the app um, and you're following the daily readings, you'll see this is today's, uh, today's video. Thank you, Josh. One of the odd things about prayer and Christian life is it seems to go backwards. After 40 years of it, I find that I seem to know far less about prayer than I did when I started and thought I knew everything. Prayer is not a matter of learning a foreign language. You know, if you're learning French, you, you learn a few phrases, you learn some grammar, you start speaking it, you speak it badly, but better luck, you speak it better, and in the end you become fluent, and everyone says, wow, you speak French so beautifully. Uh, in prayer, you tend to start talking quite a lot, and then you find that actually, um, it's more about listening. It's more about letting God take over. So prayer isn't something that I drive myself. I'm not in the driving seat. Ideally, prayer is letting God do it, and I'm listening and responding to that. Um, and if God wants me to sit there and be quiet, well, that's fine. I'm coming to a point when I think that the most important thing I can do when I've finished my prayer in the morning is to remember to listen to my brethren during the day because we're not good at listening. We hear words but we don't listen deeply and that skill of listening to your brethren opens your mind to listening to what God is wanting to say. One of the things that we do find when we try to keep silence is how much internal noise we actually have. And for a lot of people, um, that is the end of the experience, is that we think that we w want to keep silence and yet we're so buffeted by distractions, difficult, obsessive thoughts, that we immediately think this, is, this isn't how it's supposed to be and give it up. But one of the things that the monastic tradition teaches us is to attend to those thoughts, to learn something of their nature in order that we might understand how they drive so much of our, our life um, beyond our prayer. But there's also a recognition that those thoughts will always be present, that they're almost like the weather of the, of the soul, of, 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 of the mind. 
so it's possible for us to 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 recognize them acknowledge them accept them um, and yet still allow them um, not to dominate us and that really is the goal of of um, of that part of our of our prayer in order that we may um, still have functioning minds still have thoughts still have lives outside of prayer um, but be able to turn our attention to God um, in our prayer one of the ways of understanding what prayer is is simply letting that desire for God come to the surface of our hearts and minds letting it express itself in us what I would advise people is to make a certain amount of time in your day for prayer however it feels whatever um, however inadequate you might think your your praying is and and stick to it because um, it is through that faithfulness through sticking to um, that practice that the real f deep fruits of a life of prayer come so we pray on our own we pray to God we listen to God and the thing that strikes me in that is that then we listen to each other during the day to hear God speaking to us. That, friends, is one of the things we've been looking at since we started this exploration of renew, restore, and rebuild. That we pray for our church. That we pray for the vision. And that we listen to one another to see what is God seeking from us in today, in, in the now where is God taking the church? I know, friends, that we have spoken about this a lot over the last few months. But it is important that we get our praying right now to listen to what the Lord is saying to us as a church so that we are in tune with him as we step forward. So to start, I'm going to ask us to pray together the Lysic prayer. The words will be on the screen. And we're going to pray this together. God of mission, who alone brings growth to your church, send your Holy Spirit to give vision to our planning, wisdom to our actions, and power to our witness. Help our church to grow in numbers, in spiritual commitment to you, and in service to our local community. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Did you just say those words because I said let's pray them together? Or did you actually pray them? And did you realize the things that we have been praying in that prayer bring growth to our church? That's happening. Serve our local community? That's happening. I've completely forgotten the other point in there. There is another one that is definitely happening. We have been using that prayer. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, next page, next one. <laughs> And that's a spiritual commitment. I shouldn't have forgotten that one, should I? Spiritual commitment. Friends, that is happening too. We have been praying this prayer since January. Ideally, at most of our meetings, at most of our services, I know we've let it slip recently, but we have been praying it. And what's been happening? We've been praying it together. We've been praying it in our homes. And things are happening. 
Things are starting to change. We've talked so much that the momentum is gathering and that momentum is there. And now it's time to put those plans into action. Why all of this today? Well, it's because we come to the end of Haggai. It's a short book. We've only looked at three weeks. It's, we've done three weeks and we're through the book. But it's filled with lots of things that are relevant for us today. As Helen said last week, we need to hear specifics from God about what it is we're being asked to do. That's why we've been praying that prayer over and over. And I want us to continue praying that prayer each time we gather. Because it is, it, when we, the, the statistics show, no, it's not about statistics. But when churches have used that prayer and taken it on board and actually acted it out, those churches will grow. Those churches change and they become more, they get more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Is that not what we want? want here we want to be a church that is in tune with the Holy Spirit so let's keep going let's keep persevering on in, with that prayer and of course with our other prayers we're praying for our five as well there will be hopefully from tomorrow night I'll be sending out something out to say actually prayer how important prayer is and I want to encourage us to come together over the summer and look at look at prayer together and then hopefully in the September onwards we'll be looking at the prayer course in our groups prayer is one of the things that came up when we met way back in February as a PCC that's something we need to do together as a church so it is important that we pray I'm going way off topic now. Well, not off topic, but way off my notes. But interestingly, over the last few weeks, as I said, as I said about that prayer, the words that we have been praying, we have been seeing things happening. And over the last few weeks, the conversations I've had with people just make me so, so excited about where we are going as a church, what the Lord is doing, what the Spirit is doing. And I would love to spend this morning talking to you about those, but it would take me away from Haggai. So I'm not going to. And the other thing is, I haven't run everything past the PCC yet. We are meeting tomorrow night. Please pray for the PCC tomorrow as we gather, as we put these, start putting plans down and saying, when are these things going to happen? And then I'll be sending something out next week. As I spent time reflecting and praying about what the Lord is asking of us here, those things that I have been thinking and praying about have been confirmed in many different ways. From those of you sat here today, from those outside the church, from those who have no connection to the church whatsoever. All of those things are starting to come together and it is incredibly exciting. Back in January when we looked at Nehemiah, Renew, Restore, Rebuild, we perhaps had one piece of the jigsaw. But over the last few months I've seen the border of that jigsaw come together and now I'm starting to see the full picture emerge and I just want to say, let's just bear with us as we go through this, because jigsaws you don't do in a day unless you're really quick. But it is going to take time over the next few months, but the plans are in place and we are starting to move forward. And I sense that as we do that, the Lord is going to be speaking to each of us even more so about where our part is to play in this plan. And at the end of today's talk, we're going to hear from Archbishop Justin about just that thing, that we all have a part to play in God's church. I'm going to add today another R to our Renew, Restore and Rebuild. I want, well, I want to add two. I want to say, oh, there are two. But September, when September comes, wake me up when September comes. I think it's a song by Green Day, isn't it? That's what, but I want to say, actually, when we get to September, it's a relaunch. It's a relaunch. And let's be praying for revival. Let's be praying for revival to come. 
And that's why, friends, if we are doing that, it's important that we are preparing ourselves now, that we are praying now to be ready for what is to come. Why a relaunch? We need to relaunch our ministries, the ministries that we've got here. We need to relaunch our vision. We've been talking about it for so long. January 2020 feels like an absolute lifetime ago. And we need a relaunch of the church here. It's not to say we're changing what we do on a Sunday. Don't hear me wrong. But it is time to relaunch and see what the Spirit is saying to us, what the Lord is calling us to do, and where we are going with it. Now, I know many of you have been praying and seeking the Lord and what he is asking of you individually. And I encourage you to continue with this. As we said, to move forward together, we need to know what God is asking of us. Be prepared to work together and to leave those things behind. Nehemiah had to leave his life with the king behind to return to Jerusalem. Haggai had to encourage the people to leave behind their homes and focus on the house of the Lord. I want us to encourage us to leave behind the things of the pandemic and move forward with what the Lord is asking of us in this church. I want us to leave that behind. It was a time we got through, we survived, it was difficult. But actually, it's something that's in the past now. And it's time to move on. And what is the Lord asking of us today? So we pick up our reading about two months after the start of chapter 2. We've thought about being stirred up as God's people. We've looked at God being with us. And today we look within the church and ahead. Because the Lord speaks to Haggai and gives him a message about sin. God couldn't bless the people as he wanted because they were defiled. That's what the whole talk is about, the, um, the, the meat. Remember, these people are living under the old covenant, the laws of Leviticus, where they could be defiled by touching the wrong thing and then have to spend seven days outside of the group. Haggai goes to the two priests, sorry, he goes to the priests and asks two questions. It's not for his own education, because we know that he would have known the laws of the Torah really, really well. But it was for the benefit of the people who were present when he asks those questions. The first question is about holiness. He goes into detail about the sacrifice of the animal on the altar. Holiness can't be transferred because the garment is set apart. Because of the sanctified meat, he says to us. But what he's saying is that we can't become holy and set apart through someone else. It's not possible. We can become holy and set apart through ourselves and through the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us. We need to become holy and set apart by God and for God. It's no point as sat here saying, well, that's all well and good about the Lysig prayer, Tim. I know that my, my small group's been praying it, so I don't need to, because it'll happen. It's no good saying, oh, well, Amanda's praying it every day, so I don't need to. That's not what it's about, because we can't use, it as, uh, we can't use other people to become holy ourselves. We have to take those steps ourselves. There is nobody that can do it for you. Are we going to take the time ourselves to come before the Lord and to become holy? Through him. The second question in the first few verses is about defilement. Haggai is saying you can, you can transfer the defilement, but you can't transfer the sanctity. If we think of the pandemic, it was, we had to be careful because it was easy if we had COVID to pass it on to somebody else. But we couldn't pass on our health to somebody else. 
When it comes to the winter and flu and common cold are going around, it's very infectious. When Hannah was in hospital, we were told, keep the door of the cubicle shut because it's very infectious, the RSV, which causes common cold, whatever it was. So that could be easily transferred. But the health of those people who were there, we couldn't say to Hannah, well, here, have some health, you're going to be better. We had to look at medical intervention and obviously prayer. Defilement is easy to transfer, but our sanctity is not. And that's what, we get, that's what Haggai is getting at in these two questions. The people working on the temple couldn't impart holiness to it, but they could defile it by their sins. And it was important that they did God's work and that they did it from hearts that were pure and devoted to God. We can renew, restore, and rebuild here if our hearts are focused on God and we are become holy. In the history of the people of Israel, this has not happened because they had become selfish. They'd returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but they'd ignored it and instead built their own houses as we found in Haggai 1. They weren't keeping the covenant with God. So in many ways, Haggai 2, where we are today, this message from the Lord, is Haggai's issuing a call to repentance. And by doing so, there is the assurance of God's blessing. It takes us back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We know it well, friends. So I want to ask this morning, are we prepared to humble ourselves before the Lord and seek his face? Are we prepared to leave behind those things that defile us? Let's face it, we're all sinners. We are saints who sin. We are not sinners. We are saints who sin because we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit, but we do still sin. Are we prepared to leave those sins behind as best as we can, rely on the Holy Spirit so that we can move forward? The Lord is speaking to the church. He is ready for us to make a start. And I believe, friends, that we are ready to get on board with what the Lord is doing now. We will start to see things happening. I have a real joy in my heart and a spring in my step as I, hear, as I talk to people and I hear those things that are going. And it's more than just, this is exciting for me. It's the Holy Spirit stirring something up in me, I'm sure, of going, come on, we're ready, let's go. We need to trust God for the things that will be to come. It will look different. We will be taken out of our comfort zones. We will need to take bold steps. We will need to take bold decisions. But as long as we stay humble and we continue to do the Lord's will, he will take care of us. Why? We go back to Matthew 6:33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and he will provide. We seek first what the Lord is asking of us and he will provide. So in this season of thy kingdom come, we pray, come Holy Spirit. We pray for our five family members and friends. In the same way, we pray, come Holy Spirit for the church. We've looked at how we all need to come together is Nehemiah when he built the wall. We've spent time looking at our spiritual gifts, what, what they might be. We know that we are now in that place to take that bold step of saying, right, Lord, let's go. We've done the preparation. It's time to start. But we need to make sure that as we do this, 
all of the preparation that we have been doing, all of our study of scripture does not fall away and we focus on the material stuff. We don't want to suddenly start going, okay, well, we want to do this, so we need to get X, Y, and Z in place and then we're ready to go. We have to look at them together. The spiritual and the material have to come together because it's not biblical to separate them. One example a commentator gives is building, the building of a church sanctuary, the building of a, of a church should be just as spiritual as going out on an evangelistic mission. What we do in here has to be just as spiritual as what we do out there. There is no difference. The spiritual and the material have to come together. And the way we conduct ourselves will be important as we move forward, united together, ready for what the Lord has in store for us. As I say, sin will still hinder the work of God. It's inevitable. It's part of the human condition. If we look through the Bible, it's the sins of the people that bring the destruction of Jerusalem, the captivity of the nation. It's the sins that could hinder the rebuilding and the renewing. Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I'm not saying that we're all sinning and that's stopping us moving forward. But what I am saying it is, is something we need to be aware of as we take these steps and as the plans come to fruition. It's important that we don't start judging one another. It's important that we don't start comparing ourselves to one another because each of us has our own unique individual part to play in this next stage. That's what Archbishop Justin's talking about, which happens to be the novena for today. And I thought this is almost perfect for what we are looking at at the moment. It's important that we don't think we know better than others. It's important that as we do this, we conduct ourselves in a godly way with pure hearts, as we rebuild, relaunch together. It might feel like nothing is happening, and it is easy to get distracted. I was reminded just this week, that two weeks ago, I said, I'm a great procrastinator. And it is quite easy to procrastinate and think, well, when this happens, we'll start. When this happens, we'll start. I've been distracted, friends. We, were, we had Letton Hall. We were preparing for the APCM. We've had Hannah's baptism. It's easy to get distracted by the worldly thing. Well, baptism isn't a worldly thing, but you see what I'm saying. You know, as we've been preparing for those big events, it's easy to get distracted and pulled away from what the Lord is calling us to do. But what we need to remember is that the times and seasons of the Lord are not in our control. It is down to him when these things will start. It's down to him when these things will end. We just need to keep following him. So in many ways, it feels to me that we've reached the calm before the storm. If you'll excuse the expression. We've done the preparation work. We've got ourselves ready to go. We've prepared for what is to come. When, we get the, when those storm warnings come out, prepare yourself for the storm. Get ready. Put, fasten everything down to the floor. Batten the hatches. We've done that. That happens. Then there is that lull while we await the storm. And I think that is where we are now as a church. We're in that moment of waiting. But we're ready to go. And then if we go back to that analogy, when the storm comes, stuff happens. Now hopefully it's not going to be a storm here and everything's going to be tipped upside down, which is where the analogy falls down and I do get that. However, when it comes... We are ready. Over the summer, we need to finalize the plans and we need to be ready to hit the ground running. 
We've looked back with fondness to what was. We've looked within to where we are now. We need to look ahead to the coronation of the time we've spent planning and preparing. Haggai encourages the people to stay on the job and to finish God's house. And what we find as we come to the end of Haggai is that the word of the Lord comes to him yet again. And this time it's a message for Zerubbabel, the governor who is part of the royal line of David. And it's essentially rest assured that the Lord will care for his people Israel as he has done in the past. The same God who enabled Moses to defeat Egypt, who enabled Joshua to conquer the nations in Canaan, would protect his people and establish them. There is a sense that this message of encouragement reminded Zerubbabel that whatever he was facing, the Lord was with him. And this fits in to the history of the Old Testament and how it progresses from age to age towards the fulfillment of the messianic promise. Each played their own part in the drama. Abraham finds the nation. Isaac and Jacob build it. Joseph protects it in Egypt. Moses redeems them from Egypt. Joshua gives the promised inheritance. David establishes the kingdom. And that is all in spite of the human nature of sin and failure. If we were to look at each of those people, we would see the flaws in their character. But God still used them mightily. In spite of all that, the Davidic line never ceases and we get to Jesus born in Bethlehem, which we celebrate at Christmas. Zerubbabel fits into this line of people. He is there in the genealogy. But how often do we hear that name mentioned? He was just the governor at the time. He listened to the Lord, he followed, and Jerusalem was rebuilt. So as we come to a conclusion... There are five practical lessons for us today that I want to share with you, which will be on the screen. The work of God is begun, sustained, and encouraged by the word of God. When God's servants proclaim God's word in the power of the Spirit, things begin to happen. The Jewish people continue to prosper and thrive under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. They are sustained by the word of God. Can we say today that we are sustained and encouraged by the word of God? The second, God's servants must work together to build God's temple. Haggai and Zechariah, there's an old man and a younger man. They minister the word to the Jewish remnant and God blesses their efforts. We have to work together, not in comparison, not comparing with each other, not trying to better one another. We have to work together on a level playing field. Because when disputes come within the church, whether within the church or between churches, it gives the enemy ammunition to oppose the gospel. That's why it's so important that we've had to spend time looking at ourselves, looking at how the wall comes together when everybody plays their part, because we all have to play our part and come together. Thirdly, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Our work today is a part of God's work in the future, and we want to do our best. As Vance Havner, who's an American preacher, used to say, faith sees the invisible, chooses the imperishable, and does the impossible. Faith sees the invisible, chooses the imperishable, and does the impossible. So if we look out and we think this isn't going well, we just need to turn our eyes up back to Jesus and see what the Lord is doing. Psalm 121. 
Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes up to the hills. That's not quite right, but that's what it's saying. Number four, putting God first is the guarantee of God's blessing. Why should God's work suffer while we pursue our own worldly desires? We are a generation that often only gives our second best to God. Are we wasting our gifts and then putting God second rather than putting God first? Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. And lastly, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, our work is in vain. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God will work through our weaknesses, friends. God will still demonstrate his power. I was on some training on Wednesday and we were saying those times when somebody comes and says, I love that sermon, Vicar. Can I have your notes? And we, there, were, there were four of us on the table and we went, hmm. And that's the time when you go, yeah, here's the envelope, which I wrote it on. Sometimes in our weakness, God, it was more powerful. I always remember when I was training for ministry, I preached a sermon that I thought, this is rubbish. I didn't sleep well. I didn't feel good. I stood up there and thought, this is absolutely useless. And then blow me down. Somebody came up to me at the end and said, because of what you said to him, I want to explore confirmation. God worked through my weakness. If we are feeling weak today, God will still work through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are too strong in ourselves, the Lord can't use us. But in our weakness... God can use his power. Five lessons from Haggai as we take these steps, as we move forward to renew, restore, rebuild, relaunch, revive. We all have a part to play. And we're going to listen to Archbishop Justin as he tells us more about that using 1 Peter. Thanks, Josh. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, that's an amazing picture. In a building, each and every brick is essential. Christ says that each and every one of us who are the living stones of his church are both dependent on one another and have a fundamental part to play in the whole structure of the church. None of us is superfluous. None of us is beyond what is needed. When you build something, you start at the bottom with the foundation. No structure will ever hold if the foundations aren't deep and sure. As Christians, as living stones in the construction that God is building, which we call the church, we have one foundation, Jesus Christ, infinitely deep. The difference between being the living stones of the church of God and the dead wood of our own construction is the need to renew, deepen and celebrate our foundations in Christ every day. Otherwise, we risk becoming separated from those things which give us foundations, which keep us standing up. We begin to crumble as soon as we do not hold fast to Jesus as our foundation throughout our lives. 
In the places to which Peter is writing, buildings would have been a way for people to show off their power and status. Not unlike today, people would build elaborate monuments, physical structures, which denoted success, strength, social standing. But the Christians Peter addresses were powerless. They would not have been able to compete with these displays of grandeur or celebrate their faith in the power of God through building impressive places of worship. Taking these words to heart, it would seem that for Peter, it does not matter if you can't build huge temples or erect great monuments to God. God knows, God does not care about these outward displays. The stones he wants are rejected by men, but chosen by God, 1 Peter chapter 4. Rejected by people, but chosen by God, 1 Peter chapter 4. God wants the outcast, the unwanted, the unloved, the rejected, or just the neglected. These are the people whose transformed lives will be a testament to God's greatness. Our lives, our bodies, our very being become that which bears witness to the transformative power of God who has a place for each one of us. And this happens as we are built together into a spiritual house for God. To be living stones means to glorify God with our lives rather than building for our own glory or power. It is to transform the way we understand power and status. It is to go exactly where God needs us to be. It is to transform and be transformed from being ignored, neglected and oppressed to being a part of God's divine plan. It is to inhabit the language of living as God's people, recognizably. And everyone is essential in this. Those five people you hold before God in prayer have an essential place to take in his building. They haven't taken it yet, but they will. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. Today, we reflect on how our lives glorify God and testify to his grace in a way that nothing we could ever build ourselves could possibly come close to. Let us pray for deeper and stronger foundations in Jesus that keep us steady, rock steady, so that the Holy Spirit might build each of us into a dwelling for his glory.